Welcome to Above the Noise, a podcast at the intersection of faith, race, and reconciliation. And I'm your host, Grantley Martelli. Today, I am extremely excited to welcome my guest, my son, Ryan Martelli. You will remember that he and his wife, Marie, were the subject of our two previous episodes by Daniel Fontaine, Marie's mother, entitled, My Daughter Married a Black Man, and it's based on her book, Still Time on Pie Pond. Today, Ryan will join us to tell his story and his views on race and reconciliation and his journey up to this point. Before we begin, and because of his profession, we have to put a disclaimer in these episodes in order to ensure that his words are not taken out of context. Well, I'd like to say at first that while I am in the Air Force right now, and I have been for 11 years, uh, and my life is and my life experiences are hard to separate from that of the Air Force. Tonight I'm speaking to you as a, as a private citizen myself, and these are my stories as, as Ryan Martelli, and, and not the views of the Air Force, but just the things that I've experienced and the lessons that I've learned. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to do this. I'm excited to be here, so thanks for the opportunity. Great. Thanks for joining me. We, we don't live in the same city, so we are doing this by distance. Um, it would be great to be together, but maybe one of these days we get to be together again. You know, I know someday soon we'll definitely be together, get another, get another granddaughter to meet. So I'm sure we'll be together soon. That's right. So Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself. Uh, you're my son, but where you were born, the things that you've done, you know, with your family and things like that. Well, I was born in Utah. Uh, you and you and mom were my parents, obviously. So born from Utah of all places, I find is is another point that's super improbable, and I kind of take as a point of pride. But you coming from Barbados and mom from uh, Bangladesh, and then somehow ended up in Idaho, and then in Utah, and then where I was born there uh, is is a point of pride because it it shows that individuals can come from anywhere. Uh, so I've lived my entire growing up life. Uh, in Utah. Most of my memories, in fact, are, all of them are in and around Salt Lake City uh, growing up there. And then after high school, went on to college in Colorado at the Air Force Academy, joined the Air Force. Um, I became a helicopter pilot after Air Force Academy. Uh, I also got married right after graduation there. And my wife, Marie, and I have been married ever since then, which puts us now at a 11 years and since then we've been lucky enough to live in places like uh, England as well as all over the country uh, from Texas to Alabama to New Mexico to Las Vegas and now in Washington DC so right now I'm actually on a scholarship and I have the wonderful opportunity to go on a scholarship which centers around cultural and language immersion in a different part of the world. So I am now learning Japanese with my wife in Washington, D.C., and preparing for a trip in about a year from now to go live in Japan for two years 
for that purpose, to live in Japan, to learn everything I can about the Japanese culture and just a, a people that are different than what I'm used to, than different than Americans, than different than what I'm used to being surrounded by. And that immersive experience uh, is, is the education that we're seeking for those two years so that when we come back to the United States, our lives can be changed by that and our decisions that we make uh, both professionally and personally will be informed by the things that we learn there. So, Great. Tell us about your family. Well, Marie and I got married in 2010. So like I said, 11 years now. Uh, we now have two kids, one, uh, uh, one son who's almost three years old, it'd be three in October, and then one daughter who just turned one at the beginning of the summer, and then we have another little girl due in December. Um, so big family, young kids, keeps us very busy, <laughs> as well as learning another language. We're, we're learning how to speak those languages to our children and and be good parents as well. So, and move them across the country and do all those things. So it's a, it's a fun time. It'll be a big adventure. And we're ex extremely excited to meet this next grand child. When she gets here in December, we'll find a way to be there and welcome another one into the world. You guys live a very challenging life and trying to do these things and raising your children, but it would be worth it all when, when it's, when it's done. A question I had for you was, um, growing up, do you think that growing up in in a multicultural family has helped you prepare you for the things that you're doing and your view of the world and your love of the people of the world? Absolutely. And I think it happened without me necessarily knowing it. Uh, I will... I can't speak for you and mom, but I know you guys made very many deliberate decisions to, to create the world that you did for us growing up and to help the people that you did. Um, but to me, it seemed very much the normal pace of life. And so what I mean by that was when we were growing up and for instance, mom was helping with settle the, the lost boys of Sudan into Utah. And then we would invite a couple over for Thanksgiving. And then more than a dozen would show up in addition to <laughs> our friends from Bosnia and our other friends from down the road. And I remember one Thanksgiving that we said grace for food in four different languages, maybe five from English to Spanish to Arabic to, I mean, I can't even name them all. So we had all of that and it just seemed normal in addition to the facts that when we went to go visit family, it was very different because mom's family was Bengali. And then when we went to Barbados, we were dancing on the beach in Barbados. So it was all of those different cultures and people were interwoven into everything that we did uh, to include the people that were my friends growing up in high school, my friends who were from Utah, whose families are from Utah for years and years and years. So it, it all, kind of culminated in, in the lifestyle that I had. So now that I am an adult and now that we are dealing with a multicultural workplace and all the places that we've lived, it seems normal to have uh, people from everywhere 
uh, around because that's, that's what I've always known. And I think what it helps me do is maybe better empathize with some people and understand that some of those conversations we had with the Lost Boys of Sudan and the experiences that they've had or the people that came from other parts of the world, you understand that everybody has a different story and a different, a different life that led them to where they are today. And those stories um, inform the decisions that they make now. So it, I think it helps me listen to people, get to know people because I find that interesting. And it also helps me understand a little bit how, how I can work with those people, how we can develop our relationship and, and go from there. So. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, we've always been a very multicultural family. It seems to be normal. Wherever we go, we find people who are different or people who need a home or a meal or something. And we, we, we tend to associate very well. When did you first become aware of racial issues that you were different from people around you? When did it seem to appear to you as something significant? Well, that's a, that's a big question. I recognize, I've recognized a lot of things in retrospect. Now, this year in particular, as it has been for many people, has been a, a groundbreaking year, for lack of a better term, and in terms of how I see myself and how I see myself projected into the world. So I'd have to say that this year, more than anything, is the year that I've really come to understand and know that I've, um, that I am of a different race than other people, but I guess every person can say that, but, uh, uh, I guess in this country that I'm a part of, especially in some of the places that I've lived, that I've been a part of a minority or in a workplace, I've been a part of a minority within that workplace. I've, I've now come to realize that more. Podcast exists and only continue to grow because of faithful listeners like you. And I want to thank you for your support, whether you've been with me from the very beginning or whether this is your first episode. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of this great adventure. So continue to leave your reviews. Continue to write me at above the noise 24 at gmail.com above the noise 24 at gmail.com follow us on facebook at above the noise 24 and also follow us on instagram in learning that i've, I've seen things along the way uh, that now have become more apparent to me. I remember one day I came into the high school after swim practice in the morning. You know, I had swim practice before school. So my first period was most oftentimes actually swim team. So I came into school after early morning swim practice. And I saw a lot of my friends leaving the counselor's office at the high school. I pulled one of them over and said, hey, what's going on? And he said, you missed it. I said, I missed what? He said, it gave us a course on all of the scholarship opportunities open to people of color. And I said, Oh man, I missed that. But in retrospect, what I also realized is that my graduating class in high school was nearly 350 people. 
in that graduating class of 350 people, all of the people of color could fit into the counselor's office, Uh could fit into that one conference room to talk to them about the, the scholarship opportunities that might be different than, than other people. And so that was a poignant moment that I could look back on and realize that, Oh, I was a part of the smaller group in some ways when it came to race. I do remember some other stories about, I remember I was driving one of our friends home who was uh, one of our Congolese refugees. This was after I went to college. So I had a military ID and everything. I got pulled over for speeding and we were in the car. And I remember having so many lights on us and the way that that police officer treated us was very abrupt. And I remember handing him my license and also handing him my military ID because I was told that in some cases that's uh, good to show. And he said, I don't care about any of this. And he, and he was very curt with us and everything turned out fine. I didn't necessarily feel scared, but I remember the, our friend sitting next to us, the Congolese friend was very scared about what was happening there. And I was like, what's going on? And he's like that. That was potentially really scary. And I spent the rest of the drive kind of calming it down and going back. And I don't know why that moment wasn't more significant for me in that moment. But in retrospect, looking back, I can definitely feel how his interactions with law enforcement in his own country and then coming over here and and any other stories he's heard. And, and the way that that whole thing went down was very much something, as I said, that you're, they're fueled, you're fueled by the experiences that you've already had to perceive the world in front of you based on those experiences. So that was something that, again, illustrated the differences, even amongst me and my friend who is, who is actually African in the same car with me and how we perceive the same situation. We can be different amongst people of color, but then still be different from the rest of the rest of the country too. So, I mean, I, I don't know if that answers your question poignantly, but when did I notice, I think when, when race became a word that everyone started using regularly, which I think is really this year, we could start using it in the common space. I guess I'll say that that's my opinion. That's when we started. That's when I really started thinking about it too. And having a lot of, uh, a lot of my own thoughts and kind of having my own kind of a, I don't know what it is, a maturation within myself to figure out a racial maturation to figure out where I fit in the world. Yeah. That answers the questions. How do you believe that this experience is growing up and the diversity of ethnicities and cultures and foods and languages and experiences and countries and, you know, going from South Asian to Caribbean to American, has that helped you in your career as a, as a leader, growing up as a leader and doing the things that you do, leading other people? Have you found that to be helpful? I do. I have. This year, it's been exceedingly helpful in a couple of specific ways. Um, prior to this year, I think, I think one of the traits that I what got from you or from those experiences was being able to, to feel what's now seems very rare to feel natural in any room that I was in, because for a while it wasn't uncommon for me to be different from the other people in the room. Like you said, that multicultural room, uh, whether or not 
at that Thanksgiving where they spoke five languages in our own house. Everybody in that house was different from everybody else in the house, but we were all together the same. But what we didn't dwell on necessarily was the differences in a negative light. What we dwelt on was all the things that united us, that we loved sharing food together and sharing stories together and laughing. We loved playing games and and having a place to go and feeling like we belonged together. Like those things that united us were things that were were powerful to us. So that helped plant the seed in my mind that if I walk into a room, I didn't necessarily see all the ways that I was different from other people, but I could, I could attach to the things that I would, that I identified in other people that were similar to me. And we could develop a relationship based on that, whether that was a conscious decision or unconscious, I could see the similarities. So I think that was something that's, that's helped me personally. Another way that's, it's helped me professionally as I think those experiences growing up helped me see people as people and all corny platitudes aside. Another way to say what I just said about the things that were similar between me and other people in that room was, is seeing the common humanity in people that were all people at the end of the day, typically want to want the same things. We want to, want to be safe. We want to succeed. We want to provide, we want to, we want to do those things. Um, so after George Floyd was killed and the country was now starting to really talk about race and what that meant, it became difficult. I think for a lot of workplaces to have those conversations and to do it well, I think some workplaces forced it upon their people to like, you will talk about this. And then that maybe became unsincere or or something. But the experience that I had was uh, my boss at the time brought me and a couple of his senior team into the room. And really the only people in the room of color were me and uh, another gentleman who was of Mexican descent. And he, my boss to his credit said, listen, I grew up as a middle class or even upper middle class uh, white man, and I'm an I'm a middle I'm a middle class white man right now, so I don't have the background necessarily to talk about this. But what I do know is that we do need to talk about this. And then he looked at me, and he looked at the other gentleman sitting next to me. And he said, "I need your help. Help me figure out how to reach the people here so that we can we can have a conversation about this that means something." Um, And so what we did was we created a place for people to talk. We ended up bringing together the entire workplace, which at that point spanned three states and I think three different time zones. So some people were virtual and some people were were local. And obviously there was some COVID considerations. Um, So, but everybody was able to come in and we had some people of color. We gave them the opportunity to share stories uh, about their lives and how their race has impacted their life. And sometimes how race uh, has led to negative experiences in their life. And so people told very personal stories, which I have to commend those people for being brave enough in that, in that setting to stand up and, and sit and share those things to everybody else. But what I think it did was it broke down the barrier. It kind of took things away from being behind the glass panel of their TV and something that was happening far away in Minnesota or something that just 
is gets talked about by talking heads and it made it more personal and said, these people that we work with, the people that I shake hands with every day or work with or, or know personally have had these very different experiences than I've had and sometimes very negative experiences because of their race and nothing else. And so the, that thing that was racism, maybe that concept has now become a personal thing. And so if anything, if it helped one or two or a couple people rethink the way that they perceived how they saw things on the news or how they talked about it with other people in the office or how they interacted with other people and realizing that, again, bringing it back, everybody's an individual, everybody's a human, we're all human beings, we're all people, and these uniting things that we can now have a talk about race and say that these things are, these things are unfair. These things are beautiful about different races. These things are amazing. And these things make you the human being that I love to work with. So now let's, let's, let's talk about this on a personal level. So some things that I was very excited about coming out of this was a, the humility of my, my boss at the time to say, I know that we need to do something. And I, I'm not, he wasn't afraid, too afraid to mess it up, to not do anything. But he had the, the courage to say, I need your help. Find the right people to have the right people with the right voice say the things to open up the conversation so the people that he was in charge of could have this open and personal conversation. So that humble leadership was something that was that brought out of that. And two, like I said, bringing this concept of race to a personal level and not something that you just see on the news. I think that was um, something that helped. So my upbringing to your question maybe help me see the, the power. And, and as we started to put that whole meeting together and trying to say like, let's bring this to the personal level instead of an app, instead of any other ways that discussion could have gone. Yeah. That's very interesting and commendable to him for being vulnerable enough to ask the questions and open up the floor for people to be able to share openly without fear of retaliation. I do think that one of the things that I sh- that I struggled with was understanding where I fit in the racial spectrum. Some of the things that happened this year from George Floyd and and all the other unfortunate events that happened to other people of color. I wondered why I wasn't necessarily reacting the same as other people that I saw or why my reactions were just different. And then understanding like what was different about me. Um, So it's been a very personal journey that I've been going through to understand that race is not for lack of a better term, black or white, right? It's not just black and white, but there is that multicultural house that we talked about. There are spectrums of white people. There's spectrums of people of color. Like I said, we have people not just from Africa, but people from Eastern Europe as well too. And, and South America, right? So in Slada crowds, those people would be considered white, but they are very different people from Bosnia and from Argentina and from the United States, right? So they fall differently on the spectrum within white people, if you will. And me being the son of a Barbadian and a, and a Bangladeshi and is different than someone who was born in the Congo, like our friends or some people born in the Sudan or some people born in Washington, D.C. or Detroit. So I had to give myself some of that personal space to then 
consider myself an individual, like I was viewing other people and say that my experiences, my perception is important as well. And the way I react is the way I react because it's based on all the things that I've seen and all the experiences that I've had. And that's not wrong. That is who I am. And my experiences are, are valuable and they fuel me going forward. There is no one definition of black or one definition of person of color. And there is no one definition of white there. We are people of diverse backgrounds and that makes us individuals and that makes us important and that makes us uh, beautiful. And that's what's important is understanding all those things. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ryan's story. Tune in next time to hear part two and the conclusion of our discussion, which includes how the book impacted his life and his hopes for a brighter future, a reconciled future for his children. If you like what you hear and above the noise, if you like what you've heard in this episode and our previous episodes, please take the time to leave us a review in the podcast site where you listen to these episodes. It is so important to get your reviews. And if you really like it, leave a five-star review and that will help us get the word out to more people. Please feel free to share this with your friends and your family and encourage the discussions about race and faith and ethnicity and reconciliation because these things are really important that we learn how to get along with each other we learn how to have substantive conversations with each other and our children grow up in an atmosphere where they learn to appreciate other people other cultures appreciate our similarities and our differences and we become stronger because we are learning and growing together together